Thank you for listening to True Crime 49. Season 3, Women Hunted, traces the progression of Robert Hansen, an Alaskan serial killer known as the Butcher Baker. Listener discretion is advised. A female struts along the boulevard. It's cold out. In the clubs, at least, you can see each other. When the door light comes on, the heater from the car is pluming up and out, and she's coming in quickly, the poor thing. They are stealing their first looks at each other. You just do the thing that comes next. Tonight, there will be hazard pay. Welcome to True Crime 49. There was a company that shipped mice and rats to stores and laboratories decades before the invention of Velcro. And they found something very peculiar. There was this window of time for the mouse, or in worst case, the rats. There was a week and a half in their young lives that if you shipped them then, they would arrive with the delivery unhealthy, the letters coming back would describe them. A phone call even saying, some rodents despondent, some were frantic and these batches wouldn't mate, or it was taking them a lot longer to attempt the mating. And they proved it in the lab. If the creature's beginning to first release the hormones for puberty, you do not want to ship them in rattling, shaking boxes, in a truck full of terrified others, the piss dripping out of tiny corners, bouncing in the dark, the motor humming, and the transmission growling across the earth through the rushing wind. The smoky halo and the bar lights and the girl is dancing on the stage, the amplifiers are pounding. I feel like making love. It had just been released in June and it was the hottest album in the state. She steps with her legs stretched out, her ankle is extended over that high heel. And she snaps her head out over the tables and at the bar at some indiscriminate boyfriend like she caught him. And she sneers and she winks, holding the look even as she sucks in. If you were close enough, you'd hear her breathe out the acrobat's blade. And in a tiny carnival grunt, she is on the pole upside down. While it is the first line after the first chorus in the song, If I had those golden dreams of my yesterday, she starts with her ankles wrapped and locked together up there near the ceiling. Her legs are muscle on muscle, only right at the last. The pole slips up from behind her, it fits load-bearing, pressing against flesh and bone naturally. As she makes a face like Mary, the innocent, upside down before her lord, holding the position, the cross-ankle release. She had timed out her routine at the end of each line in the second stanza she would change to the next position. The song lingers and lingers in the chorus, I feel like making love, she would hold some poses forever in there. And she would give that long eye contact and the black widow fuck me look. As she's trying to catch a breath, metering it in slower, holding her chest rigid and shallow breaths. Then aligning her hands and her wrists to become strong, she has slidden down to pull her arms, making a cradle for her head and her neck, almost like she's hiding her face. Or going to sleep. And right when it says, I would wrap you, 
in the heavens. She unlocks the cross ankle and you get that release they named it after. Her legs falling apart the weight of it she lets fall freely. Her thighs and calves jiggle at the stop as if caught in shock. The tendons of the deepest inside of her thigh are stretched out tight like the circus tent ropes leading up to some small velvet turnbuckle that they have tarped over with a shiny micro-dot bikini. Some men open their eyes wide and their jaw hangs down, stopping in time with the last ripple of flesh. Chemically, they are dumber. As she moves into the next position, the speakers are droning the line is something about feeling it dying all the way. At the table, the one girl walks up and sits with that dork with the glasses. And she is talking casually in the chair next to him now and fans her hand toward him as if to say, Oh, you're too much. And lets the feather hand float missing his arm. Floating down past the lip of the table. And it falls softly just above his knee. She looks up at him like, It's okay. All lights were green and she brought up the money and she led the little guy out into the parking lot. Women of entertainment have been a staple of the Alaska landscape since the turn of the century, with famous red light districts in Skagway and Fairbanks. During the 1940s, an almost never ceasing since, Anchorage has been teeming with men, working in oil, construction, fishing, and coming into town from remote villages. With all of those men and very few women, prostitution was a natural progression. The early mayors and police of Anchorage saw the red light district as a way to keep men less belligerent and women earning their own funds. A male who has already gone through puberty, his body will be digesting animal fats and such broken down into cholesterol. The deepest part of his brain is sending out a little tropin. It floats by like a detonator. The detonator sticks and it is absorbed. And that's it. And then out floats into the stream a gonad tropin hormone. By the time it gets to the gonad, the cholesterols have been brought in and slipped just under the mitochondria glowing like power plants. And it sucks in the old fat, and in a few steps converts old pigskin, fish slurry, and animal renderings from the skim in the stomach. And they fashion them into writhing torpedoes, slithering sperm juice rockets, and these being made in bulk. Those first few months of starting the machine work, the boy's jawbones become thick and manly, his physique becomes stronger. He came out of his being scrawny and acneed and weird. As they approach his red, foreign-looking station wagon, she was thinking that a fool and his money are some party, and she was going to have this fool parting with his money in about two shakes of a lamb's tail. She almost snickered when he unlocked her door for her. The fantasies started as a matter of fact. 
when he produced the pistol and told her just to do as he says and he'd let her go. She had a lot on her mind as he drove out into the trees of the lonely Chugach State Park, and he was quickly grunting on top of her. She genuinely put her arms over her nakedness, and he loved to cast her hands off again. And he was like an obese kid that waited for his parents to leave so he could dig under his bed frame for the double dutch chocolate bar he had hidden. And he grunted and he was moving off of her one knee. She was surprised at what was next. And he jammed his face into her sex. Almost how a cartoon pig would at cartoon slop. It was disgusting. And he was manic. Suddenly the rawness was tender. A wash in cool air, he's spinning on a knee again, and jostling, squatting over her shoulder. The gaped-eyed shock of letting it happen, the report said casually, made her perform fellatio. And in the rendered fat mate slithering horde alert, she felt him tense up. And they were all over her face, and they were in her mouth. A message written on police paper said that there was an anonymous, that they didn't want to be known, and the message was coming up out of the Anchorage Rape and Assault Center. The ghost girl says that she had picked up a quickie from inside the Kit Kat Club. The weird scrawny guy with the horned rimmed glasses told her him and his friend worked on the pipeline and they were raping girls all along the way. He said he would kill her. He had before. The employee of the rape center is relaying all of this to the officer, second hand. She's afraid for her life, and she's pretty fucked up. Silence from the cop's end of the phone. Red 4N looking station wagon, license plate X, Y, and Z. He's writing it down. Blow the word anonymous on the police paper. In those days, a message was usually preceded by footsteps, and he must have missed them while he was out because on his desk was laying the form with the license plate info. It had come back to Robert Hansen, same color, make, and everything. He had been released a year and a half ago into a halfway house in Seward, some petty plea bargain or something. The officer wrote down, Mental Problems. On his notes and they passed it on to Mr. Hansen's parole officer. The parole officer made the inquiry. He said and Mr. Hansen said that yeah he'd met a girl at the Kit Kat Club. She propositioned him. They had sex. He paid her. Before he dropped her off back at the Kit Kat they got into an argument and he told her to get out of his truck and she did. She really was off her rocker because he was a felon. He couldn't even own a firearm. It's as if the sense of it all was on its knees under the parole desk, letting it finally slip in between the glossy cotton candy lipstick. The parole officer closes his eyes real slow in the assurances of these truths. Even after they brought a photo of him into the rape center, the ghost girl's eyes first look upon it told it all. The kid with the horn-rimmed glasses cocks an eye and a finger at the pro man. The pro man hearing only in waves. 
that he was in Seward on the day of the night he drove her into the Chugat State Park. Ugh, the parolman's ink wets upon the paper. The curse of scrolling out to nothing, the pen lifted away open, ignoring any punctuation. The ink drying like wine slowly turned vinegar over span of the next five years. The mode of operandi must have been working flawlessly. A school teacher made her way to Alaska. In October of 1975, she found a job at the Kit Kat Club, and things began to spiral. A man flashed a roll of money at her, and she agreed to see him after work. She would find herself at the Anchorage Rape and Assault Center, where she recounted the attack, including details of his vehicle and license plate. Once the registration came back, the school teacher dancer positively identified him. The parole officer said he believed the dancer. In fact, the allegations were becoming typical. The case was not pursued any further. Several months before March, the feisty little Mildred Johnson was at her window washing a small dish or whatever. The vapors blurred the front yard, it was so cold out, but the fire was crackling, all safe and warm. Through the fog steam and the black cold glass, summer sunlight appearing warmly, in the cold air and the darkness. The vision of her son jumping and laughing in the yard that first summer, she chuckles to the soap suds. Seeing him before her now, they had driven the Alcan Highway, just him and her. He was only ten back then. But he's a grown man now. She makes a hmm, and her hands are wiping the water away. A drip run to the elbow, she catches it with a towel looking out at the blackness. She made her mind up that this spring she would find something, something glowing to pour herself into again. There was a sparkle in her eye, preferably something, something maybe with the laughter of children. Back then in 1980, the year 2004 was so unknown you weren't even sure if we'd be there to see what it looked like. In 2004, the old state fairgrounds in Palmer. Off time of the year, the ticket shack is desolate and empty. Like the front of her house is now. The parts where the Ferris wheel would go and the Husky Burger stand. Back then, it was still just winter forest drab. Maybe the occasional cow burping and farting sprang out a plop steam. Crackle freezing solid in the empty vastness. The thought and the vision interrupted. There is something moving down the driveway. She takes her hand and wipes the sweat from the glass. The figure is obscured by the refraction as her hand is moving past. It's hunched over, shuffling frantically. Its hands are trying to claw forward. It is a naked woman and her hands are bound with guitar string, the blood is smearing and weeping, but her eyes are wild. Mildred Johnson called the police and they came out and they came in to find Millie tending to the poor girl. The girl was a topless dancer in town and she says that she picked up a John, 
and brought him to conclude business within hollering distance of this quaint little home. Not so, the girl says, and not so. The girl says she had a small bag with a few outfits in it from her routine. The guy picked her up like they'd agreed. He started driving to where they could park, he said. After five or ten minutes of driving and she slid over and rubbed his leg, her eyes are passing the horizon of the radio, her ears almost touching the steering wheel. She rolls her eyes, she undoes his belt buckle and zipper. Pointing it up and away from herself, a guy that looks like this, there's a one in six chance he'll blow his load as he comes out into the open air. Well, I guess you can't judge a book by its cover. His pecker was ready. It was a little odd shape, though. There are different schools of thought. Hers is telling her that she wasn't far off on her first evaluation of him. Most students as a go-to would go to the slightly more theatrical, clarion flat. Starting in shy and unsure. They both experience it together. She begins to love it. She becomes obsessed with it so suddenly your mouth is desperate and ready now. Her hand grips sliding down firmly over and over, setting him up with the tempo. Her arched eyebrows trying to pull it out from him as she seems to need him so bad. She sets aside this more intricate blowjob. Her reasoning is this, not to write him off just yet. Absolute slurp contact on all surfaces and a glurp. And then she starts in with the next line right out of the textbook pumpkin head going full speed with watery eyes. She was beginning to become perplexed as they pulled in and stopped. Things mean different things to different people. He had told her from the start he wanted to have sex with her in the back of the camper. His lucky day, I guess. The last three miles, she'd gave it her all. She'd even gotten a little experimental on him. No dice, though. Climbing into the bag, she's getting ready for him, baby. And he pulls out a pistol. She is naked now, and he ties her hands and windings with guitar string, it says. The gaunt eyes looking at the gaunt wire slithers cutting in across her wrists. He opens the cab window, and she can bend her neck up and see him in the dash lights. Looking back suddenly, the reptile. And it felt like the heavens parted as she felt the winded wire slip over her pinky knuckle. And she felt the wire out stiff tickling the bottom of her ass cheek or the very top of her leg. When she went for another pass, she felt the wire lift off of her skin and as it came down again, the tip was halfway to her knee. Just a touch more, the long wire is in her pinched finger when he looks back, his eyes become wide and slitting. And he's jostling, pulling over, the bed bounces and settles in in a soft brake stop. And he's racing to come to the back door of the camper now, the keys he's jingling the camper lock frantically. And as he is lifting it, he sees the backs of her legs only, they are smoothed all the way up and over, a thin pale line showing where the ass would be in a sunshade mark on both of each leg. Going now through the cab window was almost endearing to him, cocking his head to the side as it seemed at her pudenda, 
winked at him as she was wriggling through over the back of the seat. Hearing the door close hard as he is stomping back now, trying for the front of the truck as the locks are pushed down, he slid into the frame with the hard glass, pointing the gun through it at her shaking fingers. It's almost as if they smiled at each other. She's holding the lock and she starts trying to hotwire the truck. It was time for the only moves that you've got. So he took the pistol butt handle and broke his own damned window. And in a flash, she was out of the passenger side door now and she was gone. Becoming wild again, letting the twigs do her face. The brambles and the sticker bushes having their way with her as well as she runs by. The scarlet pin strikes across her and across her feet in glistening ruby slits. The next few springs after, Millie did find something that glowed for her. And for years and years, she was the secretary of the board of the state fair. Even in the death of winter, you can still go there now. The warm glow of summer remembered the experimental garden area over by the millennial livestock displays and the goats and the bees. The sign says Millie's Garden, hand-painted her honorary namesake for years of volunteer service. The cop looked at the tire tracks and the broken glass and the mud. He didn't pursue the matter any further. The old bitch was even side-eyeing him in disgust and contempt as he was half-hearted listening to the poor girl. Another October, another dancer. This time from Ember's topless bar in downtown Anchorage. She was flashed a roll of money and was asked if they could meet after work. She agreed and she found his camper in the parking lot where they had oral sex. He asked her to strip and he pulled a gun on her, and she started to scream. He bound her wrist and shut her in the camper, driving away before anyone could hear her. In his haste, she was able to loosen her bonds and lock him out of the camper. She made it to the cab using the sliding window, locking herself inside again. Busting his own window, the dancer ran out the other side towards help, towards Miss Millie. The police were called and no case was filed. Months run consecutively along just as they did before, stacking up upon each other becoming another matter right before your eyes. In sixes we called them a half year. The zinc in the zinc block sacrifices himself as the river of electrons degalvanized him in front of everyone. Listening to the clicking zipline of speeding electrons, each one carrying him away in spoon sips. They are loaded now, and they are like wooden matchheads, and they are streaming by. And they applied a pulse of electricity to the side of the block. And it danced like a ribbon in tongue lather. Their eyes were wide, and their faces glow in the green of that Frankenstein light. As the officer walked into the Bush Company, responding to a call to come immediately but to come in quiet, it was March 23, 1980, 
the streaming signal on, off, on, off, coming from somewhere over the earth in a satellite to a ground base and converted into waves through the town and into the rabbit ears, pulsing now through the ring of gallium, the wire rope shooting across the screen. Just ten minutes before the hour, in the evening they called the sixes, the prime time. But laying out tonight's episode, the Nightingale, Ponch and John were ahead of their time, really. The officer comes into the strip club. He's been asked to the side door. The dancer's hurried and slouching her shoulders, like to tiptoe a little, and the walls are pulsing from the sound system. Christine Hayes. Her eyes are kind of goofy a little. She's creeping the door open a crack with her nails and the silky wrap thing. Her arm is outstretched, pushing the door open for the cop. Tits have been rubbed down glitter makeup and the warm oils. Smells like cocoa butter. The door cracks open to men and mostly shadows. Their faces are half glowing in Frankenstein light. The pulse bouncing off the girl who was dancing at the pole. That's him, she says. The man identified as Robert Hansen. Eventually the officer was lulled with the slow eyelids at Bob. Officer Lois brought him down to the station, says he interviewed him immediately, they took him in the quiet room, and they advised him of his Miranda rights. He goes into his routine when the door closed. He looks like Elmer Fudd, he even wears a hunting hat. He talks a bit like Foghorn Leghorn, the country know-how, telling of how he installed the metal eye bolt in the back of the camper. The guy is shameless. He even throws in a little porky pig once in a while, and they buy it. This is exactly what he had told her. Most of the time it comes up after the assault. She's broken down already, coming to terms that life is still going on. He drives the point home periodically. Like the sun-lazy gorilla, disturbing the flies when he reaches over and grabs some exhausted ankle up and to the left. Which she knows He's been chanting it lately, still on top of them. The chick with the Carol brunette eyes was gagging and tearing as he was gritting his teeth. Calling her a fucking whore was when her head started to bump the truck bed. It's the humiliation, they would call it later. He never made it to, no one is going to listen to you. The anticipation was disguised that she frantically caught that first breath. Yes, he gave her a ride. Yes, she slid over and rubbed his leg. Yes, she performed on his tallywhacker. Yes, she wanted to pull over and climb in back. She pulled her clothes off. They had sex. And when they were looking for each other's socks, giggling and finding balled up underwears. And she says, he owes her $75. Nah, I say, I say, hold on right there one plum minute. She ran off to some farmhouse and scared the old gal half to death. The cop looks down her hand and down her long clicking nails and they are glossy. The cop closes the door a little. He looks at Christine Hayes. He breathes in his nose. 
He was going to assault me. Her lower eyelid feeling instantly like a lizard skin. When she said the words going to. It's the skin that can fake smile for you. It can organize damage to sort it out later. It's the only one that you use. When you are laying there and taking it. It's as if the sense of it all. A girl who came shuffling like a ghoul with a guitar wire down Millie's driveway was in such better condition, wearing the heels, even the ass-cracked bikini and the long nails peeking from the side door of the Bush Company. After the incident, the dancer no longer at Embers spotted her assailant at her new employer, the Great Alaska Bush Company started by Edna Cox, who was very protective of her ladies. A report was made with an officer interviewing the dancer. The case was not pursued any further. These two survivors would be the eighth and ninth victims we've covered so far. Months run consecutively long, just as they did before, stacking upon each other, becoming another matter right before your eyes. In sixes, we called them a half-year. Kicking the addiction, looking just like the idea she had in her mind of a good-humored worker lady from some television show she watched when she was a kid. She comes into the little store for the ninth to theme music. The smart girl, getting clean. She's got this wisdom from the world they said she used to dance. The catchy line in the song, something about moving on up. She's gleaming. And she had these beautiful dimples. The man at the counter, he will be receiving her application. <clears throat> the record screeches from the player, the needle is probably damaged. He looks up pockmarked and stammering tongue at her application. The screeching violins and an orchestra playing the murderer's score. And the jagged quarter notes and rapist. She walked out, the lizard's skin was coming down onto her cheekbones. Her lips were starting to shake, it was so unfair, the feeling of needing to get high so fucking bad. True Crime 49 Thank you for listening to TC49. You can find us online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join our Patreon for extra content and visit our website for shirts, mugs, and stickers. See show notes for sources and links.